Father, as we look now to your word, we thank you that we've been singing something historic, something actual. It happened long ago, but it is no less real. It is your final and best witness to who you are and what you can do for the lonely, the brokenhearted, also the self-assured and the self-righteous, if only we will turn to you. Thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm excited to tell you the familiar story. I don't remember exactly where it was. Like everybody else, I've got this smartphone in my pocket that just floods me with interesting things all day long, and I don't remember where I picked it up. But a pretty astute commentator gave a little tidbit and otherwise pretty serious political commentary that there was some kind of celestial event and something was headed toward Earth that gave us one of these near misses. We had a lot of fun action movies made about that, right? They have to go to the asteroid and blow it up and save us all. But this is actually happening. But then he showed the trajectory of this thing and it was, seemed to be headed right toward us. And then it veered off and went into another part of the galaxy. And the joke was that the asteroid saw what was happening on Earth and said, nope, don't want any part of that, and just avoided us altogether. For a lot of people, that's what this year has, has been like on a global scene, on a national scene, and, and most importantly of all, in the individual worlds that you each inhabit. As we sing these songs and we rejoice in all the different beautiful things that the Christmas season offers, there's also for a lot of us, it shot through with a little bit of sorrow, a little bit of loss, disappointment, unmet expectations. So as a pastor, you know, I, I get called into people's lives sometimes when it's like that. And one of the things we've been saying for the last several weeks in church is that one of the painful things of this season is you almost feel socially obligated to fake it and to smile all the time because you're supposed to be happy, but truthfully, if you were actually talking about what's really going on, you're not. So being alongside people in those conditions, asking hard questions, sometimes with empty chairs around the table for various reasons. I've asked myself this question all over again, does the Christmas story make sense in, in this world? Does it make sense? Is it relevant? Does it have anything to do with us? Because through the influence of technology, we now le live at the speed of a hashtag. And things that happened three days ago that seem so urgent, the way modern culture works, things that seem absolutely vital three days ago are forgotten now. Well, I'd like to tell you the story again. I'd like to remind you, first of all, that when you we look at these passages together, beginning first in the Gospel of Matthew. You're reading actual historical events. People in the lifetime of Jesus, some of them eyewitnesses to his life, wrote down at the cost eventually of their own lives what they experienced. And this is where the story begins with Joseph. Joseph, of course, famously was engaged to Mary. He was a carpenter, which in his world meant that he worked both with wood and with stone. He was a builder. 
And in the small community where he had set up shop, he would have been a well-known man, and Scripture goes out of its way to tell us that he's a righteous man. He's a man that walks with God. He has a good reputation. He's esteemed as a professional, and he's known in the synagogue. Which is why when the news reached him that his beloved Mary, to whom he was only engaged and not yet joined together as man and wife, was pregnant, it shattered his world and he made plans, because he was a good man, to end the relationship quietly and not expose her to the public shame that he could have if he were vindictive. And this is what Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, tells us about that. All this took place if I could have the previous slide, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph is being told his part in the story. He's being told, you will call his name Jesus. An extraordinary name for us, at least in North America, an uncommon name. But it was a common name in Jesus' day. It meant Savior, and generations of parents had given their sons that name in the hope, not that their child would actually be the Savior, but that there would be one. Because God had spoken literally beginning a thousand years earlier. He had spoken through prophets like Isaiah, who is being quoted here, and he had been told... The people of Israel had been told over and over and over again that the Savior is actually coming. Now Matthew steps back and quotes one of those prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I'd never really noticed this, as familiar as the story is, Joseph was told, you will have the honor of giving him his name, Jesus. And for the first time in history, a Jewish boy is actually going to fill out everything that that name means. It's not going to be hopeful, it's not going to be symbolic, he actually is going to be the one who will save his people from their sins. And when people get to know your son, Joseph, they, others, will call his name Emmanuel. You will call him Jesus. They will speak of him as Emmanuel, which means it's translated for us from Hebrew. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. One of the most beautiful titles, one of the most beautiful names that Jesus was ever given. Not God above us, though he is. Not God beyond us, though He is. Not God who has gone ahead of us, though He does. God actually with us, right down here in the mess, with us, saving us from our sins. So if you've brought in a burden, and you're going to be one of those who's trying to fake it out of social obligation or simple concern and love for others... It's kind sometimes to smile when you feel like crying, but understand the God who came to be with us, He knows everything about you. He knows all your disappointment, and most importantly, He knows your sin. He knows the things that have separated you from God, and that's precisely why He came to save us. That's in the Gospel of Matthew. That's from Joseph's perspective. Luke offers a different side of the story. Look here with me. We'll have the passage on the screen. 
I'm dropping into the middle of Luke chapter 2, but Mary and Joseph have been moved now by the Roman Empire. A census was given, a power move by the Romans. Everyone go back to your ancestral home and sign up. Be part of a census. What a thing to impose on a conquered people. Everybody go back to your hometown. How chaotic that would be. What a mess that would be from us, because I guarantee you if we took the time, there's probably 35 or 40 states in the Union represented in this crowd alone. We're from everywhere. They were sent back to their ancestral homes because they had no choice. And in those difficult conditions, Luke says this, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And a lot of Christmas cards and a lot of Christmas stories have featured, and a lot of kids' plays have featured about Mary and Joseph going around and patiently knocking on the door of a 2,000-year-old Motel 6, right? The Bible storytelling, the report of these events is so sparse, it's hard to know exactly what was going on. But I know this much. A young couple in this condition welcoming their child into their home for the first time, they should have had a better treatment than this. If family is present, they are not mentioned. What they probably ended up with is a downstairs guest room and a modest home that backed up into a sort of cave where animals were kept, and that's where Mary was afforded at least the privacy all by herself, giving birth for the first time with only a scared young carpenter to help. And she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. They're still doing that at Hogue Hospital. In the ancient world, mothers who had taken provision and wanted to give good care to their babies would wrap them up tight in strips of clean cloth, guard them against scratching themselves and the startle reflex and guard them against the cold. They're still doing that at Hogue. When my first child was born, this amazing nurse came in and her hands flashed over that little baby and suddenly a human burrito was presented to me. (laughs) with a little hat that said Hogue, and I thought, this is magnificent. I never want him to get out of this burrito. This looks (laughs) perfect and safe. I can manage this. That's all Mary's doing. But then it says she laid him in a manger. In plain English, she laid him in an animal's feeding trough because there was no better place. Why this? Why did it happen this way? So that people in all ages would know from the very beginning what sort of God is coming into the world, what He is like and what He expects. He's not coming with regal announcements in the halls of learning or in sacred places so that the religious men will hear it first. In fact, Matthew goes on to tell that the first outside of the family to hear this announcement are shepherds. It says, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And every word counts when God is speaking. This good news, the angel said, is not for those who have already made it. It's for all people. It's for people like the ancient shepherds. Now, the shepherds, that was not an ignoble profession. 
Nothing wrong with being a shepherd, but it wasn't a glamour job. King David had had it once. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not the sort of thing that anyone really aspires to for life. These men probably were far from home looking for the best pasture and the best water they could afford. It's quite certain when they arrived that they had the stench of the animals and maybe a little bit of the smell of the wineskins on them. And they, these simple, humble, unpretentious workers are the first that are being told this good news. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the good news that, we're, that is being announced to us. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's normal. That's what any loving mother would do. But this baby is going to be lying in a manger. What does this mean about Jesus? It means that He is good news for every single one of us. It's ironic then that a church would develop a reputation, the church in general in the United States would develop a reputation as a place filled with self-righteous people. I think that's the common understanding of church. If you're kind of high on yourself and you've got it all figured out and you've put your life together, then you're welcome and you can join the happy, shiny throng of people, of people who've got it all figured out and you'll sing together. No, from the very beginning... We're being told that this is God with us who is good news for every single one of us. Yes, eventually the mighty will hear it first. We'll hear it, but the poor will hear it first. A frightened mother, a frightened father, wide-eyed shepherds gathering with awe around a feeding trough. This is where the best news that could ever be given begins. Jesus is good news for all of us. That's why Jesus explained it in the most famous Bible verse of all in this way. This is tucked into the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, verse 16. Will you read it with me? This is Jesus speaking now, full-grown, doing things in the world that only God can do. He has attracted the attention of a religious man who comes to him by night and says, Rabbi, nobody can do the things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus explains his life, his ministry, his purpose in coming to you. Read it with me. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. God loved the world in this specific way. He gave. Love always does. That's what love does. It gives. Love may not always be able to give much, but if you genuinely love someone, you do what you can for them. That's why I was surprised myself in all three services, this little drummer boy song, and there's no drummer boy around the manger, okay? But that little fictitious Christmas carol got me choked up because of this simple, powerful idea. He's doing what he can. He's offering what he has. That's what love does. One of my best friends growing up in Mexico was a pastor who grew up desperately poor in the inner city of Mexico City. He was one of those boys you see at the stoplights, selling pencils and chiclets and trinkets. That's how he helped his family survive. And he said at every Christmas they could expect two gifts, a pair of shoes and an orange tucked in a stocking. 
And he was almost 50 when he told me the story, and his eyes filled with tears because those simple, necessary things represented love. Well, Jesus is now explaining to us what the God of the universe did, what the creator of the world did. God loved the world he made in this way. He gave not another prophet, not another messenger, not another message. He gave his only son for this reason, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that is perpetually the conflict. God has acted in human history. This is not fiction. This is not a feel-good story that we're told once a year to have a little bit of catharsis and a little bit of escape from otherwise difficult lives. This is actually God acting in history, sacrificing Himself through the gift of His Son whose life began in a manger and ended on a cross so that whoever, broken, filled with shame, guilty, or filled with self-righteousness and pride, if only those people will give themselves up and believe Jesus, here's the promise. You won't perish, but you'll have eternal life. You're being made the greatest offer ever. He makes the most extraordinary offer to any of us, to you. There's two reactions I've discovered in all my years of sharing this simple gospel message with people. There's two negative reactions to Jesus. One is, I don't need it. I'm fine. The other is, He could never love me that way. If you're in the first camp, you do need Him. You live in a difficult world with a short, short life filled with disappointment and pain because of your sin and the sin of others. That's why God came down right into the middle of the mess. He didn't stand aloof from it. He came to us to be with us, to save people from their sins. And now He's making you this offer, but He will only make it and only assure you this gift on the condition of your actual trust in Him. In other words, He's inviting you not into religion, Because religion of all names and all kinds everywhere in the world gives people a list of things that they have to do. And the idea is this, if you do these things long enough, well enough, maybe someday God will accept you. No, this is a gift purchased at terrible expense, at the terrible cost of the life of Jesus Christ, but offered freely to you because the gift was for you, if only you will believe Him, you will have instead eternal life. And this astonishing privilege that John wrote, not in his gospel, but in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3. Read this with me. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. What sort of privilege are you being offered? What kind of love have you been given? You've been given the love that can make you a son or a daughter of God. That you can be welcomed into the family of God with all the privileges and all the responsibilities pertaining to being a son of the Creator. And John says, the conflict continues. John the Apostle who watched his closest friends, those closest to Jesus, die 
murderous deaths one by one as they refused to take back the story they knew about Jesus. He watched them martyred, killed one by one. John explains the conflict. He says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So, friend, yes, it's timely. Yes, it's relevant. Most of all, it's absolutely true. All of this is true. The real question is, is it true for you? God has objectively acted in history in this way. These events, though long ago, are absolutely historic. This actually happened, and millions of people from every language and tribe and nation in the world have had year after year, person after person, family after family, have had real-life encounters with the God who loved them in this way. Some people will do that here this weekend. They'll finally give up on religion, and they'll also give up on self-righteousness, which may be even harder, and they'll give themselves instead to Jesus, and they will be loved, and they will be forgiven, and He will take their sins away. The vital question, this is historically true, have you made it true for yourself? That's my invitation to you, that if you have the slightest doubt of your relationship with God, you would go to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, I've heard the good news, and I believe it. Please understand this. I'm not a salesman on commission. I'm a reporter. I'm a Christmas messenger telling you what God did for you some 2,000 years ago so that you could have eternal life this morning, right now. Let's pray together. Friend, could I ask you who've been putting it off or pondering it and seeking and wondering and then getting distracted and getting involved in what we call real life, and then things happen in your life that make you think about God and in the quiet hours you really wonder how you're doing with Him, could I invite you in the name of Jesus to be saved this morning? To give up on religion, I'm not inviting you to religion, to give up on religion and to enter this relationship. God loved you in this way. He wants to call you His son. He wants to call you His daughter. But He will do it on the condition of you responding to what He did in loving you this way. If this is your time, I don't know. Perhaps it is. But certainly in a crowd this size, there are bound to be many people who are simply not sure of their standing with God. My point is, you can be. You can take Christ, you can trust Jesus this morning, and be assured with the little bit of faith you'll put in Him, even with your current understanding where you still have so many questions, if you'll give up on yourself and start trusting Him, He'll save you this morning. He really will. He did it for me. He's done it for countless, countless others. So perhaps he would like to reach out and call out to him in prayer and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you were born and you died for my sins. I want you to save me from my sins. I'm sorry for the wrong I've done. You are God with us. Come be with me. Take my sin. Be my Savior and my boss. If you do that this morning, friend, all I would ask is that you would let us know through that card. The most exciting thing in your life is just ahead of you if you begin a relationship in the family of God, and we want to pray for you, and we want to help. Father, as we conclude this service, we're very grateful for the clarity of your word. It's a humbling thing to be told over and over again, we cannot save ourselves. 
But it's so good to read also that you have come to save us. That you'll pay the full cost. You'll take on the full price. You'll take all the responsibility. What you ask is that we, with repentance and humility, receive the gift you so lovingly offer. I pray that you would do that. That you would move, Lord, to the one who is right on the edge of faith, that he or she would put their trust in you. That they would let us know so that we can celebrate with them and pray for them and give them whatever they need, maybe a Bible even, so that they can begin this great adventure of a living, actual, personal relationship with you, the God who loves this way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.